0: to the Damascus Road podcast on the road to Damascus Paul had a radical encounter with Jesus and his life was changed forever that is what we hope and pray for here now on to this week's episode now I myself
1: I'm not much of a dancer so becoming a master of dance is not exactly on my quarantine to-do list but I have enjoyed learning a bit of dance here and there. Now in college, I learned some basic swing dancing, which is pretty much the window for anybody to learn swing, I think, give or take a year. If you didn't attend a swing dancing club event or something like that while you were in college, well, then I think you missed your chance. Time has passed too late. Now, if you try now, you'll just look like an old man trying to learn whatever dance that the kids are doing these days, kind of like this, (laughs) I think this is a struggle, we got to work together pretty much. So I learned a little bit. And I got the basic steps down, I learned to do some spins, I even tried a little Lindy Hop. But at this point, I just remember enough to get through a song or two before my partner is tired of doing the basic step with a few spins mixed in. Nowadays, it is not just, it's probably not the most useful skill. I don't break it out all that often. I think the last real time I danced swing was at Ascent, our old summer retreat in Colorado. We were going to have a formal for everyone on Wednesday night. So Ryan and Tim, our brother leading the Damascus road in the quad cities, they decided to teach everyone some dance moves on Tuesday night. And by dance moves, I mean swing. I don't know about Tim, but I don't think Ryan has too many other moves to bust out. And I didn't really intend to take part myself. They were just going to cover the basics and I just was not really feeling like it. That said, there was a girl there that I was very much interested in dancing with, and if she could be convinced to take part in the dance lessons, and if I can maneuver my way into being her dance partner, well, then my interest in taking part would change significantly. Now, for those who recognized my wife, Megan, well, then you probably figured out that this worked out just, just as well. The persistence of other friends got Megan to join in, and then once she was in, I was in and we got together and we danced the night away by which i mean i taught her the basic steps and i got to hold her hand for about an hour <laughs> it was very exciting and now i have a dance partner for life <laughs> over the last few weeks we've talked about life as a dance on one hand dances choreographed with steps that are carefully planned and rehearsed But on the other hand, dance is fluid. It's in rhythm to the song. And while it can be choreographed, it can also be beautifully improvised and spontaneous. In the first week, Megan taught us about how we need the right partner that is dancing with God and not with anything else that we ask to carry our worth or our value. Brad taught us about how upon the cross, Jesus cuts in and he takes the lead. He dies for us on the cross so that we are free from sin. Last Sunday, Easter Sunday, Ryan walked us through the reality of the resurrection. And as Jesus rises again, he offers us new life in God and a new dance that we can learn and enjoy in him. He is risen. Hallelujah. Now we may stumble as we learn the dance, but with a patient teacher and the right partner, we too can find ourselves moving to the unforced rhythms of grace. But while we can learn to dance, there is nothing like watching an expert dance and elevate the art to masterpiece. Now God as a dancer, that's a new image for God. I think we're very familiar with all sorts of different images of God, but not dancer. And I propose that this image will help us in our understanding of who God is. Now this matters because what we believe about God, how we conceive God shapes our response to God. It changes the steps of our dance. A.W. Tozer claims that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us a lot of the world thinks that God's main role and image is as a judge. But if that's the main way we view God, then we will respond likewise, living only to appease the judge. We go out into the world judging it as God judges it, as we think God judges it, condemning culture, criticizing others for their immorality. We ourselves might be more afraid for ourselves, fearful of God's rejection and his judgment. Now, judge is one of God's roles, but it does change things. If we view that as his main role, this is not how we should respond to God. Now, another common image, especially for Christians is father. And you know, we say good, good father. And this image can be beautiful, but not for everyone. For many, our earthly father, fathers are not good representatives of the type of father that God is. If our conception of our, fa- of a father is not loving and caring, but is instead as stern, withholding, absent, or even abusive, well, then this image is, is not encouraging. Instead of running into the father's arms, we run away. So we cannot rely on this one image alone for everybody. What about God as a friend? Well, the beautiful thing about God is that we can have an intimate relationship with God where we can know and be known by God, cared for as if by a friend. We cannot change who our father is, but we can all find a new family in our friendships. But if we reduce God to just a friend, then we miss the holy aspects of our relationship. The tension of our relationship with God is that, well, God makes God's own self knowable to us, God is vast and mighty and Lord over creation. God is unlike any friend we will ever have. On the other hand, if God is a a great and unknowable God, then we have proper reverence and awe of God, but we miss the intimacy that we can have with God. If God is only our protector, how do we process God in times of trouble? Now, the ways we see God shape our beliefs About God. They shape our feelings of God and they shape our actions in response to God. And if we believe the Bible when it tells us that God is love, well, then how we see God fundamentally forms and shapes all we know and believe about love as well. So, what about God as a dancer? Now, I don't suggest this as a wholly encompassing image of God to replace all others. Again, that would just cause other problems. But if you will go there with me, I, I hope that this image, um, I hope that this is the image that we're going to explore. And I hope that it will help us to understand one of the most important and confusing aspects of God's nature, the Trinity, So, this morning we're going to sit and watch the dance of God, the dance of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Now, admittedly, the Trinity is a confusing and abstract idea. God is three persons, but still only one God. There is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But the Father is not the Son, is not the Spirit, but all three are God. What does that mean? I mean, speaking speaking about the Trinity raises all sorts of questions. I mean, what are the different persons? What are their roles? Are they just different aspects of God's character? Do they all exist at once? Or does God take on a different role based on different purposes? Did Jesus exist before his birth? Did the spirit exist before Pentecost? Who is in charge? Is God the father in charge? No, seriously, what does the spirit do? (laughs) And we all have a lot of questions, it's okay, and it's okay to have questions. The Trinity is confusing. It is hard to explain. But often, when we are trying to teach and talk about the Trinity, we want to give a clear answer. And, and, and in doing so, we often give bad metaphors that oversimplify the Trinity and, and end up making some serious mistakes. We'll get to God as dancer, but I'm not proposing this as a new metaphor to help explain the Trinity, but as an image to help us understand a key aspect of the Trinity. And I hope it will be a lot better than any of the bad metaphors I have heard and you might find familiar, too, like water and an egg or an apple. None of those cut it. But instead of. Instead of just having me walk you all through it and explain why all those are bad, I'm simply going to turn to St. Patrick and a couple of Irishmen, Donald and Connell, to explain what the Trinity is not.
2: Okay, Patrick, tell us a bit more about this Trinity thing. Yeah, Patrick, tell us. But remember that we're simple people without your fancy education and books and learning, and we're hearing about all of this for the first time, so try to keep it simple. Okay, Patrick? Yeah, real simple, Patrick. Sure, there are uh, three
0: persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, yet there is only one God. Don't get what you're saying here, Patrick.
2: Not picking up what you're laying down here, Patrick. Could you use an analogy,
0: Patrick? Sure. Uh, the Trinity is like, uh, water and how you can find water in
2: three different forms. Liquid
0: and ice and vapor.
2: That's modalism, Patrick! What? Mortalism, an ancient heresy confessed by teachers such as Noetus and Sibelius, which espouses that God is not three distinct persons, but that he merely reveals himself in three different forms. This heresy was clearly condemned in Canon 1 at the First Council of Constantinople in 381 AD, and those who confess it cannot rightly be considered a part of the Church Catholic. Come on, Patrick! Yeah, get it together, Patrick!
0: Uh, Okay, Uh, then the Trinity is like uh, the sun in the sky, where you have the star and the light and the heat.
2: Oh, Patrick. Come on, Patrick. That's Arianism, Patrick. Arianism? Yes, Arianism, Patrick. A theology which states that Christ and the Holy Spirit are creations of the Father and not one in nature with him. Exactly like how heat and light are not the star itself, but are merely creations of the star. That's a bad analogy, Patrick. the worst, Patrick. Alright, sorry. The Trinity
0: is like uh, this three-leaf clover here.
2: I'm gonna stop you right there, Patrick. Yeah, hold your horses, Patrick. You're about to confess partialism.
0: Partialism?
2: Yes, partialism, a heresy which asserts that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not distinct persons of the Godhead, but are different parts of God, each composing one-third of the divine. And who confesses the heresy of partialism? The first season of a cartoon program Voltron, where five robot lion cars merge together to form one giant robot samurai, obviously... I've never heard of Voltron. Of course you haven't. It's not going to exist for another 1,500 years now, Patrick. Yeah, get with the program, Patrick. I mean really, Patrick. I'm going to stab you in the face, Patrick. Okay, that was probably a bit much.
0: All right, I'll try again. Uh, the Trinity is like how the same man can be a husband and a father and an employer. Modalism again. All right, then it's like the three layers of an app personalism revisited. Fine. The Trinity is a mystery which cannot be comprehended by human reason, but is understood only through faith and is best confessed in the words of the Athanasian Creed, which states that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance, that we are compelled by the Christian truth to confess that each distinct person is God and Lord, and that the deity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one equal in glory co-equal in majesty
2: well why didn't you just say that patrick
1: on patrick that's modalism i find that that's a quite a fun way to at least understand a bit of the problems with some of these bad metaphors and and sometimes though Uh, It is actually easier to understand God by understanding what God is not. So in some ways, these metaphors are helpful. God is not like water, which takes three different forms that are different and distinct. And at different times, God is not like the son, Jesus, and the spirit do not come from the father. And God is not like a clover, the father, the son, and the spirit are not all just one third of one God, they're each fully God. And now if you missed it, here is St. Patrick's final explanation from the video. We worship one God in Trinity in Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance that we are compelled by the Christian faith to confess that each distinct person is God and Lord and that the deity of the father, the son and the spirit is one equal in glory, co-equal in majesty. So I get it. That's not the most clear. Um, but that is a lot better than any of the metaphors that we use. And if we follow them, they get it wrong in ways that are harmful to our understanding of God and end up being just as confusing. As St. Patrick demonstrated, no matter which one you choose, egg, clover, etc they all seem weird and they aren't even accurate, as Donald and Connell point out. And if this is the best that we can do, well then the Trinity ends up seeming like a weird idea that has been tacked onto God instead of something that is essential to who God is and who we are. I mean, why are we even messing around with this? Why are we wrestling with the Trinity if, if it just makes things unnecessary and confusing and complicated? The agishness of God isn't winsome or clear or compelling. It makes God out to be a curiosity or even a monstrosity. When we hear these metaphors, we may nod along and and say yes, we believe in the Trinity, but it doesn't impact our lives. We mostly try to ignore the Trinity and that worst is not only confusing and hard to explain, but it makes us look just plain foolish to others. Now it is true that the word Trinity is nowhere to be found in scripture, but the early church developed the doctrine to help make a sense of what clearly is there in scripture. God is the father, God is the son, and God is the spirit. But the father is not the son, the son is not the spirit, the spirit is not the father. But if the word Trinity is not even in scripture, then how can I claim that Trinity is scriptural? Doesn't the Bible teach pure monotheism? Isn't the Trinity added on to God and not necessary or biblical? For instance, what about Deuteronomy 6.4? Asked the Muslim or Jew or others with a knowledge of the Old Testament. The primary prayer of the Jews known as the Shema starts with this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. That seems pretty clear. One, not Three. But this is where context in the Bible really matters. This section is about how Israel is to have one object of affection, Yahweh, which is what we see translated as Lord with little caps. Yahweh alone is Israel's God. God has chosen Israel and Israel is to love God. The point here is not to teach a mathematical singularity, but rather that God is the only one worthy of their allegiance and worship and love. And they are to love God and God alone with all of their heart and soul and strength as the rest of the Shema says. The word here doesn't convey singularity, but unity. And it is the same term used in Genesis two twenty four where Adam and Eve, Two persons are said to be one in marriage. The one God is expressed in the Shema doesn't teach monotheism or exclude the Trinity, but rather that this triune God is the only God of Israel. And the Trinity is confusing. So it's okay to be confused so far. We don't have to understand it fully. It is okay to embrace the holy mystery of God but we can still seek to understand aspects of God's character. So what can we understand about the Trinity? Well, we do not need new metaphors, first of all. Instead, we need to turn to what the Bible does tell us and the images that the Bible uses are best. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. C.S. Lewis explains it this way. Naturally, God knows how to describe himself much better than we know how to describe him. God knows that the father and son is more like the relation between the first and second persons than anything that we can think of. Much of the most important thing to know is that it is a relation of love. And this is what Jesus reveals to us about God, that he is a father who loves the son. And by the spirit, we we are all invited to become sons and daughters as well. When Jesus teaches his followers how to pray, he tells them to address God as Abba Father. What Jesus wants to invoke with the name Abba is God's unconditional, unlimited, and unwavering love of his people. When we think of God, the primary image we should have is not a distant creator or an unmoved mover or original but father in the most beautiful, in most perfect sense. But this is not quite the same relationship as we have with our father. We come from our fathers and mothers. But scripture teaches us that the son exists with the father. In the opening of John's gospel, instead of telling us about the birth of Jesus, he calls Jesus the word of God. And he writes In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning through him. All things were made without him. Nothing was made that has been made. And in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace. In truth. The Greek word that John is using here is logos. In Greek philosophy, the logos is an impersonal force, a lifeless and abstract philosophical concept that is a necessary idea for explaining the cause of order and purpose in the universe. Now, in Hebrew thought, the logos is personal. Logos indeed has the power of unity, coherence, and purpose. But the distinctive point is that the biblical logos is a person and not an it. And John takes this idea to affirm that the son as the reason, the mind of God become flesh. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is God and by the word God creates and reveals. John is pointing back to the creation story and he's telling us that Jesus was there. The father is creating with and through the son and the spirit is present as well. Genesis one tells us in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And there's the spirit. The spirit is also present in creation. The father, the son, the spirit are all there together creating as one person, God, our Lord. The father does not create the son or the spirit as the son creates heat and light. Later, we see that the son sends the spirit. Luke records some of Jesus' final words to his disciples before he ascends to heaven and he leaves the mission, his mission in their hands. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. In John, the spirit is called our advocate. And I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy spirit who leads into all truth. The word cannot recognize him because it isn't looking for him and does not recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. The son sends us the spirit to be with us as the church carries out Jesus mission and ministry to the world. Filled with truth and the message of life and liberation from sin. With the Spirit in us, the Spirit points us to the Son. In John, the Holy Spirit is depicted as coming in Jesus' name, bearing witness to Jesus and glorifying Jesus. Basically, here's Jesus. And the Spirit here's Jesus, there you go. And the spirit is pointing us towards Jesus and he is telling us to look at him, listen to him, learn from him, follow him, worship him, be devoted to him, serve him, and love him. You could say that the spirit is Jesus' hype man. And the spirit is very concerned that we love Jesus. Now you might think that it would be easy for Jesus to get a big head from all this praise and worship and love that the spirit is directing his way. But instead of getting cocky about his own glory, Jesus completely submits himself to the father. As Paul writes to the Philippians to prove that Jesus is who Paul says he is. Paul writes this about Jesus. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his adva- his advantage rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as man he humbled himself by becoming by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross Throughout his ministry, Jesus did not go about declaring, I am the greatest, but rather said things like, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. Or if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. Before he started his ministry, he was led by the spirit into the wilderness. At the end of his ministry, just before his arrest, he said to God, not my will, but yours be done. Again, he became obedient, even to the point of death on a cross. And this brings us back around to the father. We audibly hear God's voice twice in the gospels. In each of these instances, God basically says of Jesus, this is my priceless son. I am pleased to be with him beyond your ability to understand. Listen to him. The father loves the son. There's no hierarchy with the Trinity. Each person glorifies the other, loves the other, pours themselves out for the other. In the reason for God by Tim Keller, which is what inspired the series, Tim Keller sums up the Trinity like this. The life of the Trinity is characterized not by self-centeredness, but by mutual self-giving love. Remember what we learned about sin a few weeks ago. Sin puts anything other than God at the center of our lives, as we try to find our worth and our value in them. Ultimately, sin drives us towards the center, towards self-centeredness in the Trinity. We see that the very nature of God is self-giving love. As for what this looks like. Well, this is the dance of God. Again, from Tim Keller and the reason for God. When we delight and serve someone else, we enter into a dynamic orbit around him or her. We center on the interests and desires of the other. That creates a dance, particularly if there are three persons, each of whom moves around the other two. So it is, the Bible tells us, each of the divine persons centers upon the others. None demands that the other revolve around him. Each voluntarily circles the other two pouring love, delight and adoration into them. Each person of the Trinity rejoices. Each of the persons of the Trinity loves, adores, defers to and rejoices in the others. That creates a dynamic pulsating joy, pulsating dance of joy and of love. And the early church had a word for this, perichoresis, which literally means dance or flow around. And you can notice the root of choreography within it. It is hard to talk about dance without a visual. So let's take a moment here and we're gonna pause and we're gonna watch some beautiful choreography of three bringing glory to the one. <laughs> are those real angels in the magazine so is there a heaven you know now you've been now are those real stars that hang in the sky why are they man-made the trick of the light they One of the fundamental characteristics that we are taught about God is that God is love. This is the image of the dance of God, of the Trinity dancing and orbiting around one another in self giving love. The dance cannot be done by only one person. God would be fundamentally different if God was not triune. In fact, we could not say that God was love. As Keller explains it, if God is unipersonal, well then until God created other beings, there was no love. Since love is something that one person has for another. Love must have an object. And for God to be love, that object must be before us. It must be eternal. It must be God alone. Because if God is not a Trinity, then we would not have God, Yahweh, Lord. Perhaps we would have Marduk, the Babylonian God who created the world so that he could have slaves to do his bidding. Perhaps we would have Allah from Islam who is called the loving, but was alone before creation, solitary and needing no one. So it is hard to understand how a solitary being without anything to love could become loving once he creates. And if that's how it works, well, then that means Allah is dependent on his creation. And, and that's another issue. And if God is merely the creator or ruler, then we are left with a sort of celestial traffic cop, a big brother in the sky who can save us by not giving us a speeding ticket for which We could have gratitude, but certainly not love. Who who wants a God characterized by supervision and rules? That sort of God is not great. A unipersonal God can be powerful, sovereign and rule for all eternity, but a unipersonal God cannot be love. Love requires an object. Something must be loved. Now, if God is triune, This means, this gives meaning to say that God is love because love is in God's very essence because the father loves the son who loves the spirit, who loves the father. Because the divine person can dance around one another, glorifying the others, lifting them up miraculously and mysteriously found within our one God. This predates creation. This is love for now and all time. And this gives us new understanding of our creation as we return to Genesis. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image in the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. In those verses, we see the persons and the purpose of God. God says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. We are made to bear the image of our triune God. And if God is triune, then loving relationships and community are the great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the very center of reality. God did not create us so that God had something to love. It is not about God's lack, but it is about God's abundance. God created us because there is love to give. Love by its very nature grows and multiplies. It spreads. It gives from one to another. When we give love, we do not have less love. Rather, we have more of it. And we are made in the image of the triune God. We are made to exist in relationship marked by self giving love that glorifies one another. We were made to center our lives on God to make the possible and passion of our lives, knowing, serving and resembling God. It is the dance of God, the perichoresis of the Trinity, as the Father, Son and Spirit dance around one another in beautiful adoration and rejoicing. And the dance is reflected throughout creation, planets orbiting stars, the dance of electrons within an atom, in the, the rhythms of tides and seasons. All of creation was made for the dance of God. But as we were reminded these last few weeks, sin moved God out from the center of our lives and our dance fell out of step as we danced with the wrong partner. Creation fell out of rhythm. And it was into this reality that Jesus came to set things right. He cut in to teach a new dance, the dance that we were made for. It was a grand rescue operation as Jesus poured himself out for us, for humanity for creation, to free us from sin, to liberate us from the evils of the world, to lift up the oppressed, to make the blind, to see and declare good news to the poor. It costs Jesus his life. But while death is a part of this story, it is not the end. And Jesus conquers death. He sends the spirit to fill us. He renames us as beautiful and beloved children of the father. Our God who is love now and always brings us into the new dance of love. So how do we possibly respond to a dancing three-in-one God? We recognize that we are made in the image of an inherently relational God. And this means that we need relationships and community. Author and pastor John Ortberg says it this way, no matter how little money we have, no matter what rung we occupy in anybody's corporate ladder of success, in the end, what everyone discovers is that what matters is other people. Human beings who give themselves to relational greatness, who have friends they laugh with, cry with, learn with, fight with, dance with, live and love and grow old and die with. These are the human beings who lead magnificent lives when they die, not one of them regrets having devoted themselves to people, to their friends, their neighbors, their children, their families, not one. Put it this way, we learn the new dance, the dance of God the dance of love through self giving love for one another. To do this, God needs to be at our core. If anything else is at our core, it will run dry. It cannot, it will not sustain us. And instead of self-giving love, we will turn inwards towards self-centeredness out of fear and want. In order for us to offer self-giving love to one another, we must allow God to transform us, to take the place of whatever it is that's at the center of our lives that is not God, transformation is the work of God, but God does not force God's self upon us. We must allow God to enter our lives and to do restorative work upon us. So ask yourself, what is it that defines and, and identifies you other than God? Where are you trying significance and worth from that is not God? What wrong partner are you dancing with? Give it to God allow God to take its place. When we let Jesus cut in and take the lead of our lives, we will find that we are more free to dance and to live than ever before. With God at our core, we are free. We are free from sin, free from the struggles that control us because we are no longer fooled into thinking that we need them to tell us who we are, to tell us that we matter, and have significance. We are free to give more in love because God is at our center, sustaining us in love. Now you may not feel very free right now, wherever you're at. That's okay. This is not because you lack faith or you need to try harder. Instead, Jesus leads the dance. We follow by submitting to our dance partner, letting him guide our steps. And it is a process. A new dance takes time to learn. Jesus is transforming us, working in us as we allow him to, but our liberation and our restoration will take time. It's okay if you have not mastered the dance. And we learn the steps from the master of the dance. And and I wanna challenge each of us this week, wherever you're at, commit to taking that next step, whatever that might be for you we learn to dance by beginning with the basics and we start one step at a time. We can all learn a new step, a more complicated dance from God. We are all on a journey towards Christ towards finding him at the center of our lives. Make that commitment, whatever that next step is for you. Is that a commitment to pursue the questions about God that have been dogging you for some time, keeping you from a deeper commitment Maybe, maybe that's the question that must be answered to take you from testing the waters of life with God to diving right in. Is it a, is that a commitment to be baptized and to make an open declaration that you desire for Christ to be at the center of your life? While we can't perform baptism at celebration Sunday, the way we would traditionally do, you can still make this commitment. You can still express that desire. Is, it a, is that a commitment to trust God with everything in your life? What have you been holding back? What can you give to God today? For the times we are living in, I have another challenge for each of us to take this week. The dance of God is a dance of self giving love that reflects our, our three in one God. How do we love each other right now as we dance at least six feet apart? I mean, right now we are facing some very unique difficulties. We cannot gather, we cannot be together. If we did, we'd have to ma- we'd have to wear masks and maintain our distance, which does not make for a very compelling dance. But one thing this pandemic has taught me is that there is so much out there for staying connected and for serving one another. We just have to be creative. We can connect by watching movies together. We can play board games, host a book club and more while talking to each other online. And not only that, it has encouraged friends to reconnect with friends who moved away. We're all connecting online anyways. So boundaries such as as distance are crumbling down. And I know a lot of people in our community are doing some cool things to stay in touch. But I also know there are people who are feeling alone and isolated. Use the resources that technology has made available to us to bridge that gap. And love isn't just connection, it's service. We can serve one another by showing care for one another and support for one another. If you're worried that somebody is struggling with loneliness, anxiety, or depression during these lonely, anxiety-inducing, and depressing times, check in on them. Give them a call or text, FaceTime, or Zoom with them. Serve them by letting them know that they're not alone and that you care about them. For another way to serve one another, DR can help. One reason that we've been talking about um, Damascus Road's Benevolence Fund more lately is because we do not want anybody in our community to feel alone and to feel helpless. If you need help, reach out. If you want to help, you can give to that fund. Consider what can you do to pursue community and connection? Or consider who is one person that you can invite into community and connection with you? Or who can you reach out to and check in on? Show them you're thinking about them and care about them. Find out if they need anything that you can offer. And admittedly too, times are hard. And perhaps you do not feel as if you have much to give financially, emotionally, or spiritually. Then let someone else love, let someone else practice love by loving you. If you need help, please reach out. Reach out to friends and to community. And if you don't know who to reach out to, then when you fill out your communication card, say something in that, in the prayer and comments box or email us at Damascus Road Tucson at gmail.com or message us on Facebook. Just, um, and don't worry, if you want, only the church staff will read it because we're a community. We're here for one another maybe we can help one another find the help that we need. Or if you can offer help, but don't know who needs it, do the same thing, reach out or join our online communities. If you haven't yet and share your needs and your love, let us pour out our love for one another. Now you probably still have questions about the Trinity. Certainly I do continue to pursue those questions. God invites us to know God, but don't get bogged down in trying to understand everything. We couldn't possibly, but we can know God as a loving parent who cares for us, who teaches us and sustains us as we grow into deeper relationship with God. We can know God as we know another person for God became man, walked with us. God knows the trials, the suffering, the pain of being human in a broken world. We can know God as the spirit dwelling inside us who fills us, inspires us and directs us towards the glory of God. We cannot know all there is to know about God, but we can know God. So don't miss God's invitation in trying to comprehend all there is about God. God is too big and too vast, but God does invite us into a new dance. It is a dance of oneness with God who is one and in community that is united in God. It is a dance of love as we pour ourselves out in love for our friends, our family and neighbors, just as the persons of God pour out their love for one another and for us. We are invited into a new dance taught and modeled for us by the Trinity, our God, who is father and son and spirit. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that we be inspired by the image of the Trinity, of, by who you are, by your nature, of, of three, three in one God who dance, three people dancing around, pouring themselves out for one another, glorifying each other. I pray in our communities that we can do that too, that we can continue to give love because when you give love, there is not less, there is more and more. And when you're at our, at the center, Lord, when, when we let you take over and define who we are and our value and our significance, Lord, then you will, you, you forever can sustain us, Lord. You will never run dry. There will always be enough. We, when that's at our core, we can give and we can give, Lord, without fear of want. So I pray that wherever you're at, Lord, you take, take the lead in the dance. You take us and you guide us. You teach us the steps, Lord. Um, so that we too can learn the new dance of God, the dance of love. I praise you in your holy name, Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining the Damascus Road Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus together by being with God, loving everyone, transforming people, developing leaders, growing new ministries and changing the world. You can find out more about us online at
2: damascusroadtucson.com.